0: Hello and welcome to the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is the Asheville podcast where we sit down with local business owners, entrepreneurs, community leaders, and we ask them what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this season is a very special season. We're doing an e-commerce-focused season. And you might notice, A, if you're watching on YouTube, probably not notice if you're listening on a regular podcast app, but if you're watching on YouTube, and I recommend that you do, we're in a very beautiful space with lights, green chairs, uh, a cool table, and I am joined by none other than Jamie Daniels of Ernest LLC, one of the coolest and most interesting businesses that has come into my purview in the last year or two, um, and it's been wonderful to kind of fall into your orbit. Hello and welcome, Jamie.
1: Hi, thank you. Thank you for being here.
0: Uh, and that's fun to say that because we are, at, we are in your space. And thank you for being here on the podcast. Um, if you could, uh, if, again, folks watching on YouTube, big giant room, awesome, beautiful space. How, where, how big is Ernest? Where are we in Asheville right now just to kind of get uh, the coordinates dialed in?
1: Like literally where are we located in space? Yeah. This is Sweeten Creek Road. We're right off uh, exit 51, off 40, Mm -hmm. conveniently located. Somehow manages to be close to everything. We're close to east and west and south, right near Biltmore. It is in what Atelier Maison is trying to create as the Asheville Design District. I
0: just saw a big sign about Asheville Design District last time I left Ernest. I I'm I'm open to calling this the design district. Does that feel good to you?
1: Yeah, cool. I'm good with it. I think it's cool.
0: What um how how big is the actual building that we're in right now?
1: The actual building is about sixty five thousand square feet. Ernest,
0: those, those keeping track at home, that's I mean it feels huge. Like this this room is like bigger than an apartment that I've had <laughs> at a time in my life. So sixty five thousand square feet is hard for me to make sense of, but it's like warehouse. Big. It's, it's bigger than most warehouses big.
1: Yeah? Uh, well, I suppose so. Okay. Yeah. But Ernest is only in one uh, portion of okay. the entire building. Okay. So part of it is uh, Devil's Foot Beverage Company. Mm-hmm. And the middle is our full-service fulfillment uh, operation. Mm-hmm. And then on this side is the co-warehouse. So where we're sitting today currently is the co-working piece of the co-warehouse.
0: Awesome, and would it be about thirty thousand square feet? If I'm trying to make the math, make yeah, sense? the
1: whole thing is about thirty thousand square feet
0: of the Ernest Co. warehouse and co. Uh, working side. Yeah, cool. Again, I, uh, the office space that I'm used to is about four hundred to five hundred square feet, and so this feels uh, absolutely massive and beautiful. How how long has Ernest been in existence so far?
1: We launched in March of 2023.
0: Wow. So it's so fresh. a few months. So it's got that new car smell. Yes. And um, what, so we alluded to it. What is co-working? What is co-warehousing? Um, what's going on at Ernest today?
1: Well, broadly, yeah. we're not really trying to compete per se with traditional co-working. Mm. Where co-working supports someone that works like on a computer or has maybe an administrative type function Ernest, the co-warehouse, supports e-commerce. So it's really a little baby warehouse where you do your own fulfillment, you do your own orders, logistics. It just gives you a slice of a shared warehouse. Where co-working is a shared office, hmm. this is a shared warehouse. So in the back, the spaces range from about 200 square feet to about 1,500 square feet. Yeah. So the idea is that it supports all facets of e-commerce, that there's a place, this office bit, where you could take a meeting or, you know, check your emails, have a cup of coffee, yada, yada. And in the back is where you would do the heavy lifting, do your order fulfillment, have your inventory.
0: I love it. Um, one of the many business ideas that's come to mind since moving to Asheville was a bad version of this. <laughs> like I, I, I looked around, I saw all these like makers, all these craftspeople, all these folks, doing um, some version or another of selling wares and thought like, there's gotta be some way to optimize some of the the parts that probably aren't as fun for the average person, like packaging, like uh, holding inventory, et cetera. And I thought like, oh, I'd buy like, I don't know, an airplane hanger and just like figure it out. And this That'd be is, pretty cool. It could be. I mean, we'll see. Let's not write it out. Uh, uh, cross it off. But the execution here is like pretty way better than anything I had dreamed of. And so, twenty or so thousand square feet of of individual like tiny warehouse storage setups. Mm-hmm. How did you? How did that even come up? How did you think to do that? Is there a model for this? Have you that you've noticed?
1: Uh, Yes, like we did not invent the concept of co-warehousing. Like there is some of that popping up across the country. But we're certainly the first ones to do it here. And the sense is that Asheville in particular has a lot of cottage industry. The Western North Carolina has a lot of cottage industry. Forgive me. And that Asheville in particular has a lot of people that moved here with their side hustle. Mm -hmm. Post-pandemic especially that people kind of, you know it seems like professionals our age kind of started looking at that side hustle a little harder. They enjoyed the longer bike rides every day. Mm -hmm. So the thought is that people were starting to really lean into their side hustle, starting to outgrow the garage, needing a place to scale. And then this gives them that. So this gives a place where an entrepreneur who's bursting at the seams, hogging up the whole garage, wife wants the dining room table back, they can now come here, have all the sweeteners of a warehouse, loading docks, pallet jacks, FedEx comes twice a day, all those kind of things mm. that like are hard to manage at home. You know, it's hard to accept a pallet at home or, you know, you're racing every day to get to the post office on time or there's not really a good space like spread out and like fill orders and pack boxes. And that's what this provides. Yeah,
0: I mean, even compared to other office space. so you know, making it creative slash making it in Asheville slash my wife's business, QB Cucina. We've all worked in theory, both from home over the last two years or so in the pandemic world, but um, from a office in the heart of downtown Asheville. And, you know, it just has become overgrown with Sarah's products for QB Cucina. Um, It's not easy to receive products. The doors lock at five o'clock. If it's raining and she needs to bring stuff to UPS or FedEx, it's like, it's a mess. If the So there's all of these things, even if you do have your own office that stink. Um, and it does seem like you have addressed a large, if not all, of the issues.
1: Well, I think so because yeah. it... Um Dovetails in our fulfillment operation.
0: Tell me more. So
1: we also could give somebody staff, like if you had a big order. I have somebody that's here currently that has an e commerce operation and they need like an hour or two of assistance every day. So she's not quite at that point where she could hire Mm -hmm. someone to help her, but she does need to help getting over that hump. So I have staff here. I have staff here to do receiving. Like you don't have to be down here every second of your life. Like we could receive a pallet for you, have it in your station, ready to go. We can do all kinds of different things to like help people, relabeling, a big order, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh man, it seems to me that there are so many parts of like running an e-commerce business. My wife knows better than I do, but so many parts of running an e-commerce business and there are only really certain things that are worth getting good at or like that she should work really hard to get better or smarter or faster at. Um, And one of those things that I've always kind of flagged for her in consideration was like, we are currently... Holding all of the inventory and packaging all of the stuff, aren't there things? uh, I want to say three PLs, third-party logistic providers or pack and ship type, you know, places. Aren't there options where we can just send it to them and then they can do the packing? um, And her takeaway or point, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but has been something like, uh, yeah, but if we if we control it, we can make sure that it's really. You know it's done beautifully, or like the attention to detail is there, and also it's expensive. Um, this seems like something like a middle ground, where um, and and to be clear, Sarah is probably your newest tenant, and we're very excited to be here. Uh, but yeah, a middle yeah. ground where a lot of those issues of running a, a you know business that has that does its own fulfillment. Um, can be theoretically outsourced, or uh, levels of efficiency can show up that you just can't do at home or do in your own, um, you know, office in some office building in Asheville. Currently, yeah,
1: totes, I couldn't agree more soundly.
0: And but this is, but is this, I guess, third-party logistics? Are you a pack and ship business as well? Is that in the mix? Because the the ability to do support, where does that line stop? Is there a line um, that you draw in services you provide to tenants? Um,
1: No. I mean, we do offer those services, and no, there is not a line drawn. So our company is um, founded basically – should I start from the beginning here? Should so I, just, I was like, just say, about to
0: say, it might be time for me to transition to my second. I was like... What? Second index <laughs> card here and say, maybe it makes some sense to attempt to tell the full story of what's going on here. There is more happening in this building than just Ernest. Yeah. Let's try and understand some of the, the scope and take us as far back as we need to to understand.
1: Well, Ernest is... The co-warehouse and a full-service fulfillment operation. So we have customers that we do the entire shebang. We do trade show and conference management, and we do all kinds of product fulfillment. We do kitting. We do um, subscription boxes, that kind of thing. Wow. So our fulfillment operation is in the same building, and it dovetails into the co-warehouse. So that's kind of how we can make this model work because we have staff here kind of anyway. So we have like hybrid models where we're doing part of the fulfillment, they're doing part of the fulfillment, or we do it all, or you could just hire us for an hour, two hours, whatever. Wow. So we can step in and help, or we can just do it. You can, We are a 3PL,
0: wow. so
1: um, we can just do the whole shebang.
0: <clears throat> and how long has that portion of the business, the – Um, I guess fulfillment and because the co-warehousing new model fulfillment services you've been doing for a a while now, question mark? Yeah. We
1: have been, uh, doing fulfillment since 1957. (laughs) So...
0: Okay. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not new. Not a new. <laughs> no,
1: it is not. It, we've okay. been doing fulfillment since way before there was a word for it. Uh, yeah, like, wow. we're our company is um, a company of firsts. So the fact that this is the first co warehouse just kind of goes in with our whole company zeitgeist. But so when my grandfather came here to Asheville in 1948, he came here to die of tuberculosis. And um, in those days, like, the air was prescribed. The Asheville air was prescribed. And um, so he came here to die. He didn't die. My dad used to say, we got to do something. So he started a company. So he went to um, a law firm in the drummer building downtown, which today is McGuire Wood. It wasn't at the time. But um, he kind of made a swap with them that if he could use their desk and typewriter at night for his own purposes, he would type their papers in the day for free. So... They agreed and he did and he parlayed that into his own typewriter, which he set up shop in a bench in Pritchard Park. and he would type the papers for the surrounding uh, businesses in Pritchard Park, which he parlayed that into a secretarial service and a letter shop. So um, meanwhile, We also got into the answering service business because Ma Bell did all the answering at the time. We have a sister company that is a answering service. And um, Southern Bell was like tired of that business. They approached him and said, if we just give you all this equipment, like would you just take this line of business on?
0: Is this in the era where they're like pushing uh, cords into a wall to answer phones? Yes, Wow.
1: Like the one ringy dingy, yes. So um, they loaded him up with that equipment and um, he was the consummate entrepreneur and he was like, what the hell? And got into that business. But um, the secretarial firm grew into a printing company. Mm -hmm. And then at one point, uh, GE Lighting was our biggest customer, a huge customer for us. And they were like, well, since you're printing all these catalogs, couldn't you distribute them? And Mm -hmm. we were like, of course. (laughs) Yes, of course we can. So um, that got us in the fulfillment game. So under my dad's leadership, the and, company...
0: And that was in 1958 or so? So it's mm-hmm. like 10 years after we moved down here. All of that has happened 10 years.
1: Yeah. Wow. Right. So many Velocity, things.
0: yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah,
1: I guess I never thought about it in that way. <laughs> yeah, so the answering service started in 1955. And then, yeah, so... Um, under my dad's leadership the uh commercial printing and mail really grew Mm. so that became above and beyond the biggest part of our company but um the direction we went in was in materials management and logistics handling trade shows getting uh printed materials where they needed to go doing Mm -hmm. the same distribution as we did for ge lighting in 1957 but um in the pandemic If there's anything people were not ordering in the middle of a pandemic, it was brochures. Mm. So that business really went off a cliff. I mean, all of our business revolved around events more than I would have even anticipated. Like if you just said, I wouldn't have even really couched it that way. But so um,
0: You, you might have called it marketing support. And then it just so happened to be that all of the marketing sport was really event-driven. Yeah,
1: event-driven in some way. Wow. So, like, our big customers were... The Symphony was a big customer. So even if they weren't truly in trade shows, yeah. it was event-driven somehow. So uh, we pivoted to doing product fulfillment for other North Carolina companies mm-hmm. who also pivoted. And then for whatever Made masks, reason... masks, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. We <laughs> oh, wow. fulfilled a mask right away. And um, so that was sort of where we shifted. We just Mm. went hard into that fulfillment piece. So ultimately we exited the printing business and went out all in on the fulfillment. So that is what kind of started making us look at this space. We had the answering service and they were here in what is now the co-working Mm. and um, you know, the answering service was like a kindergarten in the best of times, like one person sneezed and everybody had a cold. So when the pandemic, it really forced us to go um, remote, yeah. which it was a good confluence of an improvement in that technology and the <laughs> being forced <laughs> like a good perfect storm of reasoning. So oh, yeah, they went home and then we found ourselves with this space and uh, an empty press room. So it was sort of like, how do we go to the next step with our company And it was very mission-driven to develop something that supports Asheville entrepreneurs Mm. and Asheville small business because our mission is to grow your business. And it just felt very much in line with what we'd always done. So actually transitioning this way, sometimes people kind of act like what we've done is really seismic, which I guess it is. Mm. It's certainly a big pivot. Mm. But it doesn't feel that insane because it's so true to our mission and i feel like ernest who was my grandfather that founded the company hence the name ernest daniel's company was super different than my dad's company and then it's okay that the company be different you know as my company
0: hello are you watching on youtube listening on your favorite podcast player if you're not on youtube Perhaps consider it because behind us, you would notice that we are in an absolutely beautiful space, and that space is our season sponsor, Ernest Ready Made Warehousing. And so, if you're not familiar with Ernest, uh, it is fantastic. I am joined here by my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, founder hey. of QB Cucina, and one of Ernest's newest clients.
2: Yeah, excited to be back on the podcast.
0: Great to have you back. Episode 110, if you haven't listened before. But what we want to talk about today is why you chose Ernest and what makes Ernest stand out, let's say, compared to uh, finding a new office space in town to fulfill from. As a very high level, Ernest is a 30,000 square foot facility on Sweeten Creek, just south of Asheville. Huge facility, beautiful facility. Uh, Why did you choose to go with Ernest instead of Any other place in Asheville?
2: Yeah, well, I have a small growing business, e-commerce. We sell pasta tools and Italian kitchenware. And we currently outgrew the space that we were in and really needed um, a different kind of space. And so I love Ernest. I love the fact that uh, as we grow, Ernest can scale with us. So they have different sized co-warehousing spaces. Um, so if we if we grow bigger, we can just quickly move over to a different space within the same building, which is a really huge time saver. I also really love that they have daily, sometimes multiple times a day, um, pickups from UPS, FedEx, and USPS. So we don't have to worry about packages getting lost or stolen, and our team doesn't have to drop them off at the post office, and it just saves us all a bunch of time and headache. Um, and also, they have temperature-controlled rooms, which for a business like us, we, one of our products is pasta flour. It's really sensitive to temperature. It's really, really important for us to make sure that our products are secure and not um, not getting damaged while they're being stored in our warehouse. Um, and I love all the other amenities. I love, they have a photography studio so we can quickly photograph our products. They have a full break room. Um, they have co-working space that we're able to use for our meetings with team members and other people um, that may come to to see us. And then just the sense of community being around other uh, small businesses is something that we currently don't have. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to connecting with others here.
0: I love that, ErnestReadyMade.com if you've not uh, visited that before. Or you can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash earnest. And we have a bunch of information about the partnership we've built for this season, as well as some perhaps special discounts and incentives. If you happen to be a e-commerce business or the right fit for Ernest. you should definitely check out makingitinashville.com forward slash earnest. E-R-N-E-S-T. And back to the episode. Hey, that was a thrill ride from 1948 to today uh, I have a couple questions that I would love to attempt to double tap on.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: I can take a breath at any point. Yeah, right. One, your phone, uh, call service business is alluded to. What is it? What is it? What's the name? What is it called?
1: It is called Brightbell Virtual Receptionist. So they handle as the name implies, virtual receptionist services, like we answer for other offices. And we also do after hours emergency calls Mm. for medical, HVAC, property managers, anybody that for whatever reason, the phone has to be answered. Mm. So we answer a lot of emergency calls and we also do a lot of marketing with outbound. We're just Mm. now getting into like an outbound space, which has been interesting. It has like really good response in a post do not call world yeah. it's like a very different thing it's not like call it dinner and sure ruin your night stuff but sure. it's like warm it like works in conjunction with cart abandon especially if it's a high value sale we might call and say oh we noticed you left etc in the cart, like is there anything that might move the needle and that you might want to buy it so it's like remarketing but with like humans
0: we might have to have you back on the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> just, to, just to, 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 double, to double and then triple click on that. Because I think um, one of the other business ideas that's come to my mind in my time here is the idea that we as humans, uh, my, my wife and I homeowners have worked with or attempted to work with so many uh, small business owners in like the service spaces that. For a number of different reasons, have a very bad uh, customer experience. And it's typically because they don't they're the owner, operator, um, call answerer and service provider. And it's hard to do all of those jobs at the same time. And I've thought about doing, you know a receptionist type technology where uh, one person could theoretically run ten different businesses inbound, uh, concerns, and then just yeah. make it feel better, and then they could charge more. <laughs> you know, like it would be, it'd be such a better thing. So this is very interesting. I
1: me. know, which is an updated version on a very a very classic idea, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, like a lot. You know, a lot of times people are like, eh, and IVR is fine, or voicemail is fine, or what? It's really not fine. And when someone picks up the phone and you get a actual person that like warmly handles soft skills
0: tiniest bit of soft skills makes a world of difference
1: it really does and in fact having like an old-fashioned kind of company that offers what feels like an old-fashioned service it feels like it has never felt more modern Mm. like never has like engaging on the phone with a human felt like a bigger deal right like i have a friend in business that told me i was going to be replaced by ai and i (laughs) challenge that because we're just like making any experience with a company feel that much more valuable. So
0: I, I, I think it's, you're going to be hard pressed to see. I mean, well, AI will affect jobs. I think that it will more likely support roles than wholesale. Just kill them in the near term for sure. Well, like it, it I, just
1: gets I, rid of minutia, Right. Sure.
0: Yeah. So. And I think that there's certain things that like your, uh, call center folks would like lean into AI for like knowing a certain thing fast and not having to, hey, let me put you on hold for a second and actually make 10 phone calls to sort something out. It's just uh, AI answers the question or f- parses your yeah, data.
1: because we man chats. And go. so um, we can man chat or email. And so like, yeah, there's like a, lo- a long thing where AI can just do it, yeah. right? But then there's a point where...
0: Hey, let's hop on a phone. It's too
1: complicated. Yep. Like it, AI can't manage it. Yeah. And that's when your customer tends to get like f- furious. Yeah. Right? Like there's a point where it's like, my call is like complex. Like I can't just be answered by the string of like whatever yeah. outbound nonflexion Don't you, you dare send me
0: don't you dare send me to your frequently asked questions page or yeah. support docs. Right. I don't want that. I want a human. And I hear that. And I think that there's an opportunity, um, proven uh ton of different ways over time where it's like if you can take a bad situation and sort it out you have a better fan advocate relationship with the customer than you ever had um and and it's even better than uh they expected something good and you did something great if you yeah if, if they expected something good it went bad and then got sorted out it's like somehow that's better than it going great to begin with
1: uh, right, it's more. Yeah, it's impactful. Right, yeah. it's like,
0: oh wow, they do care. Oh wow, they like. Anywho, uh, Bright Bell has my.
1: Well, sorry about that. No, it's good. Beat you to it, like by <laughs> fifty, <laughs> by seventy-five yeah. years. Seventy-five. So um, that's another. The um, earnest members like could theoretically like use that service too, right? Mm. They might could use the virtual receptionist. You know, especially because we're talking about solopreneurs, oftentimes, or
0: yeah, wow.
1: So, um, anyway, yeah. So that's all that lives right here and under this. The other
0: thing I wanted to double click on, if you don't mind, you said exited the printing business, I believe, or something to that effect. Yeah, selling a business. You, I imagine, you sold it. You didn't just shutter it.
1: Yeah, we sold the business.
0: Um, fascinated, captivated, have a million questions. I won't ask all of them. Okay. Can you? Can you? Walk me through the process of thinking, hey, we want to sell a part of what we're doing or all of what we're doing. We haven't had many guests who have exited businesses in the past or businesses in the present. And I just, I'm interested to hear your experience with exiting a portion of a business.
1: Well, um, it was, like I said, it was the pandemic and some printing companies, did okay. Like my like there was a point in commercial printing which was also sort of a dinosaur industry mm. where there was this moment where general commercial printing was not really that viable. So People had to pick a path. Mm. And so some people went down the road of like large format and signage. And some people went down like, you know, pick different routes, packaging. Mm -hmm. So like packaging printers weren't affected very much at all. Like they were only affected by supply chain because people were still buying up products like crazy. Mm. So because our business in particular was so events driven, we were particularly affected. So... It kind of uh, got harder and harder just to hold it together, honestly. Like, really, as things dragged on and on and on, I mean, I know it's hard to remember now, but there was a point when we thought this thing will last, like, two weeks. Mm. Right? So, like, it was sort of like, well, we'll hunker down. Yeah. And then it just got to the point where um, we just had nothing to do, frankly. Yeah. You know? So, so it was just it, made was sense. It then,
0: was it a relatively... A hard asset to sell or was are there private equity groups that are like buying up like distressed printing companies?
1: Oh, no, no. We sold to another local company that um, it's called Allegra. Oh, yeah. And they are doing like large format signage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're born kind of more of male. And so uh, they weren't seeing the same challenges mm. because they were doing a lot of signage. They're yeah. doing a lot of like... Um, point of place signage of like, you know, the socially distanced lines on the grounds and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, they bought the company, but also took all of our employees. Mm. So that was comfortable because it kind of gave our employees somewhere to go. And then it was easier to shift the customers to say, you know, you're still going to be working with Mm -hmm. your same project managers and it's just right down the road. Wow. So that was decently comfortable in terms of that transition because of the taking the employees
0: sure wow okay um i look forward to more conversations about exiting a business with you i think it's very interesting i could and then the, the write a book and the last thing it, and it has something to do with that as the concept um is that before we sat down i kind of uh parodied or parodied my intro to the episode and you said, I don't identify as an entrepreneur. One of the ways that I define entrepreneur personally, and I, and I don't think I'm alone in it, is that you know someone who is attempting to build value uh, by way of a business as the vehicle, and then is open to willing, able, and enthusiastic about exiting that position, like selling the business. If you're not willing or able to you know able because you don't want to, I guess, so not willing to sell your business, I think that you're a small business owner, you're self-employed. Um, perhaps at at best and it's just a perhaps semantic difference, but I'm I'm wondering um, how how and why have you reached a place where you don't consider yourself an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, so when we exited the printing business, like where it has landed is has been the best for the most amount of stakeholders and it's landed in the best possible place I think but leading up to it was extremely difficult and it was extremely difficult for me personally to leave that business I mean that was it's hard to explain you just met me so it's yeah. hard like for you to probably have that context but like it's been hard for me to like get out from under being considered a printing company, Mm. you know, that was really like the core of our company. And, um, you know, I love that stuff. I miss it. I miss the smell of ink. Mm. I love that work, but it just got to a point like where the company had to move forward. Like it just was sort of had my hand forced in a Mm. lot of ways, but like I said, moving into this has felt good because, it's so mission driven and we're really just sort of like serving small business in a different way. So it's not as completely in conflict as it seems. And largely, I'm not saying it's like perfect in every way, largely the customers seem happy with the change and largely the employees have stayed over there and have been happy with it. So
0: amazing. Well, So far, we'll agree to disagree. I will identify you as entrepreneur when I oh, talk about you Oh, yeah, that's not even publicly. answering your
1: question. So like, okay. <laughs> I guess because I'm, in, I'm third generation and I inherited it, mm. I guess that's why I don't really put myself in that same. It's like, I feel like entrepreneurs in my mind are people that are like, start with a hot sauce and a dream. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they. I don't know. I see my grandfather's entrepreneurial and then weirdly, I also see my dad that way. So I yeah. don't know why I don't really see. I feel like I was given this thing with which to do.
0: Yeah. Well, heard, and I'm not going to challenge that in any serious way, but I'll, what I'll just reflect back to you is that you've made, um, you 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 don't appear to be just a manager, right? If the opposite of uh, someone who, uh, if, if you're working at definition of entrepreneurs start with zero, make a thing, fine. Um, if the difference between that and somebody else is uh, a man, like a manager takes a thing and just m- makes minor improvements over time, like not, you know, it, it's common that you would hear something like not all founders are. IPO CEOs or you know can report to the SEC mm-hmm. in the way that a uh, seasoned executive could just kind of switch into the role and is that executive an entrepreneur or is they or are they just a CEO? Um, I'll say, sure, I hear that. Um, my read on you is that you've made a number of very hard decisions. You've exited uh, a business, the pivots, the strategy, the execution, I'm excited you're in my entrepreneur book. Last question in, okay. in history is, uh, at, w- at what point did you take over? Um, I want to say the Daniel's group or Daniel's in general. When um, you...
1: it was in 2016 when my dad died. Mm. So, I mean, I have worked here in some capacity basically my whole life. Wow. So I was like, I guess you would say COO for a time. And there was a part, a point where my dad got really sick and um, it became really obvious that he was sick. And so it was creating a lot of scuttlebutt, like in the plant, it was creating a lot of like fear and people, I mean, he just, he was going through chemo and radiation and he like visibly was clearly outwardly sick. So he shocked the hell out of me when I went to him, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna take the wheel for now. And he surprised me by being relieved and mm. happy. So there was a point where like, I quote took over in about twenty fourteen fifteen, but there was a big difference between him being here and him not being here, wow. realistically, so.
0: What were some of them or what what underlined that biggest difference? Clearly his presence, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, but what, what was it
1: more, both my approach to the world and also people's approach to me, like it was just Mm -hmm. different when, you know, he was in the picture, if he was in the room, like just the, the authority I had was different. The authority I didn't have (laughs) basically, you know, it was just different, even if he wasn't doing the actual like nuts and bolts and I was making choices or decisions, but it wasn't the same as.
0: Yeah, everyone would.
1: The training wheels came off. off. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, To bring us to the third index card and present day, and now looking ahead, um, a lot is going on in these 60,000 square feet. Um, What are you looking forward to? What are you most excited about? We're almost halfway through 2023. um, Hopes and dreams for the rest of this year. What do they look like?
1: Uh, well, that's a big question. So most basically, I am trying to get the co-warehouse filled up because I feel like once we're full and activated, then we're really going to start creating like an ecosystem and a community that I see kind of branching into like having different programming, you know, different types of events with the members, like different both social events, but also just like bring someone in that's like, you know, how do you maximize your SEO or how do you market on Instagram or bring in a tax accountant? When should you be a S corp or whatever? You know, those kinds of things and like the way Ernest is envisioned is to really support all facets of e commerce. So. You know, we have the office bit, we have the on site photography studio, so people can keep their website up to date, and then the space where people can work. And hopefully we've checked all the boxes from the fundamental standpoint. Hmm. But then as we move forward, I like to really build out the more cultural parts and really like move forward with that, which will only come with actual community here interrupt
0: this episode with a horror story, an e-commerce horror story that my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, experienced. But I'm going to preface, she's not alone. You might be an e-commerce store owner. You might have a friend who's an e-commerce store owner. And uh, this story is universal, though specific. Sarah, please take it away.
2: Yeah. Well, I own a small business called Cubicucina and we sell Italian pasta tools and kitchenware. And in our previous space where we were fulfilling from, one day my employee was packaging up a bunch of packages to ship via UB. UPS and UPS did not pick up from this location. And so she was going to package them up and take them out to the car and drive them to UPS. Well, it was raining a lot that day. As and it
0: tends to here in Asheville.
2: Yes, as it tends to here in Asheville. And on her way, taking the dolly out to her car, uh, some packages flew off the dolly, were soaking wet. She was soaking wet. And then she had to repackage them, like go back up to the office and repackage them because they were ruined and and couldn't be shipped out so yeah
0: and uh a i'm so sorry to hear that story that's a heartbreaker now you don't have to worry about that happening anymore because you work at earnest ready-made warehouse and they have daily pickups and deliveries from fedex ups and usps
2: yes it's like it's like suddenly we have a valet and concierge at our fingertips which is amazing Um, they have daily pickups from from all the major shipping carriers and they have a huge loading dock so we can receive our shipments very easily 24 hours of the day every day of the week which is amazing
0: to learn more about Ernest ready-made warehouse, visit com forward slash Ernest, E-R-N-E-S-T. We have uh, all sorts of information about this season, about our sponsor, Ernest, ready-made, and uh, offer a very special incentive for those of you who are small business owners in Asheville who could benefit from this facility. Back to the episode. Uh, I think it all sounds very exciting. Um, well, I'm excited. And I... I I'm excited to play some small part in that. So thank you for watching this episode. This is not the end yet of the episode. Uh, the The questions is um, when thinking about Ernest and the couple different like ways Ernest adds value to the community, and then the um, Bright Bell. How, how do you attempt to split your time? What do your days kind of look like? Um, Wearing as many hats as I imagine you wear.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I have a full leadership team that supports me. So they're, you know, they're doing all the real work. (laughs) I don't know how to, (laughs) I mean, some days one is a louder baby than others. You know, sometimes one will take up more attention than others for whatever reason, but. I tend to divide my time pretty much 50-50, really. Okay. Like, we have a lot of plans for both companies. Like, we have a lot of big initiatives going on at the same time for both.
0: Yeah, and and I have a sense of your headcount in Brightbell. If only on the call side, how, how big of a team is Brightbell today?
1: It's about 40 people.
0: Wow. And how big of a team is Ernest
1: Ernest is about um, we have some shared sure but I would say uh, six
0: Wow it's a lot of people it's a lot of people I, what, what, I get I imagine to run a full printing operation maybe you've operated with more than 46 or so people and that doesn't feel that intimidating as yeah, a number for a well, headcount
1: we have had under my uh, purview at our most we had 80. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It is. But.
0: And do you have intention? I mean, as the, as the businesses currently sit, is there a likelihood of uh, increased headcount? Uh, I can see capacity increasing in earnest without necessarily needing a ton more people, but maybe depending on who your tenants are, if they need, you know, more support with fulfillment uh, perhaps there is a uh, some sort of increased demand for employees.
1: Well, I see, um, I see some like roles that we don't quite need today. Like I see a role for like a community manager, sure, and um, you know possibly more in the back. We're actively trying to grow the fulfillment operation. Yeah. So, yeah, we also we do kitting and that kind of thing. So yeah. when those projects come along, that can be like a. Oh, you know, we're calling your cousin and them to come down and help us. <laughs> cousin so, like,
0: and them, and them. Uh, <laughs> that can I'm be learning. like an
1: all hands, like kind of thing. But um, so we have a few people that we have like kind of waiting in the wings sometimes to help with those kind of projects.
0: And uh, that actually, it's a good angle to take these lines of question. Who is a good um, tenant or good client for fulfillment? Good tenant for earnest? Like, w- what would be you know the Uh, height and weight description, so to speak, of Mm -hmm. the kind of perfect fit?
1: Well, in a perfect world, in the fulfillment space, there's generally the ones that would do uh, the trade show management and conference. Like broadly, cheekily, it's really anybody for whom trade shows has become a big point of pain yeah so, so
0: you're thinking um you have a booth at whatever craft you know quarterly craft thing you have all the stuff in the booth sent here and then you deliver it or what i'm um, maybe more clarity on
1: well it really looks more like um it's organization like um they're doing like a couple of hundred trade shows a year wow so and they have reps that are going to different shows all over the country and then they have all these different materials. So God. we're sh- shipping out like the booth, yes, but also like the pens and the tablecloth and the but the ones that are doing a lot of their marketing via conferences and trade mm-hmm. shows they have a lot of yeah. those things. So their rep, we have like a little storefront that we build for them and their rep will jump online and they have a show in Dallas and they go and they're like I need these pens and I need this Pop-up banner, blah, blah. And then we have it waiting for them in Dallas and then with a return label and they box it up and ship it back here. And then we do a QC, put it back on the shelf. So anyone who's doing enough shows that it's aggravating. Wow. That it's like someone is pained by it, Mm -hmm. right? Just managing the comings and goings. And then um, we also do product fulfillment. We do Cirilla, Cirilla. she sends kits to buyers like the buyers at a grocery store or she sends them to influencers Mm. so we kit those but then also send out like her big distribution orders like they're skidded interesting so we have several products that we do like onesie twosie so subscription boxes are great any kit kind of thing
0: wow okay and then for this side of the house who's a Good looking fit.
1: This side of the house in the co-warehouse, it's really, um, it's imagined to be an e-commerce. It isn't always, everyone back here is an e-commerce. Like people are constantly surprising me actually. But so it's envisioned as an e-commerce that is starting to scale and is really frankly looking to scale. Like it's probably someone who is trying to move the needle and grow their business and this would provide them a vehicle to both get out of the garage and, like, kind of move forward and grow. It would allow them to be able to rainmake, make, to be able to hire, you know, to kind of, like, level up. So it's sometimes people have said, well, wouldn't this be, like, a good art space? Not really, because it's not really just, like, it is workspace, but it's, like, space to move your product forward and like, expand, house your inventory, fill your orders. And that would benefit from these things, would benefit from a community, would benefit from our fulfillment support, would benefit from a loading dock.
0: And, and pallets and being able to receive when yeah. you're not there. And like I think of my wife who we'll talk about at some point throughout the course of this season, I'm sure, but just the idea that we have these dreams of being able to travel and continue our businesses and right now when she's got a lot of time, money invested into products, you need to ship them to people. And at a certain point, you know uh, that becomes a major linchpin, the ability to continue to ship if we're uh, abroad is a, a hard thing to do. So there are a lot of value here that we see two questions or one question for both sides. What do, what do contracts look like? Because um, one of the things that surprised me or that I was most kind of interested in is that uh, it seems to be very flexible, at least at time of recording, that you can go month to month on this side of the house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how do you set up relationships on fulfillment at large and you know, what does it look like to be a tenant in earnest generally?
1: Well, for the stations, they are they can be as short as one month, or we have annual leases, yeah. or um, six month. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, really, if you consider an entrepreneur who is outgrowing the garage, it's really a heavy lift to stare down the barrel of a five year triple net, oh my goodness, personal guarantee. You know, it's a big jump to go from garage to traditional commercial lease. And this kind of fills that gap. Like if you called a commercial realtor and said, I need 500 square feet for like four months, they'd (laughs) tell you to pound sand. But like this gives you that opportunity to also, I guess, flex with your idea. And it takes a lot of the risk off the table. Like you can come, you can try, like you can see if you can scale this thing. And if you can't, you haven't personal guaranteed yourself into a 60 month triple net lease, you know?
0: Yeah. Cool. I, I wanted to make sure we highlighted that because that was very compelling to me. And I completely agree. I think, um, uh, entrepreneurs, small business owners are, I'd say bold and, and, uh, are willing to take risks almost by definition, but it's the, um, it's the, you know, 10 year, five year, like, I don't know what's going to happen now. I I know right now I need space. I know right now I'm making these widgets. Um, and it seems to be working, but like six, you know, 60 months from now, the world could be totally different. I could need a million square feet. Yeah. You know, whatever. And
1: haven't we all learned that the hard way? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we see Ernest as kind of a launch pad, like, The walls are demountable so you can scale here. Like if you're in 250 today and you grow, like I can put you in 500, I can do 750. You know, the time would come that you would be up and out of here, that you would move on to your next thing and have your whole own facility. This gives you that middle ground. Yeah,
0: I love it. Um, We will, if you're listening to the podcast, it is worth checking out the Making it in Nashville YouTube channel. There will be video perhaps in this episode, um, but definitely on our channel somewhere for you to find um, of the space and and how it both looks beautiful on the co-working side and how it's so incredibly functional and smart. On the co-warehousing side, I am um, a very big fan and we're very uh, excited. So it hasn't necessarily been said explicitly at this point in this particular conversation, um, but you are sponsoring this season of the Making It in Asheville podcast, yeah. and we're so glad to have you. I think that there, the you've said it now two or three times, uh, the idea that it's so mission-driven, and I am in complete alignment. I think that uh, your intention to support entrepreneurs or small business owners or um, just people in Asheville who are trying to build something um, is so wonderfully in alignment with what we're trying to do with making it in Asheville, which is tell the stories of those people so that people are also inspired and supported and feel like there is a community of, of folks here who are working really hard to figure it out. and um, you know, entrepreneurship, small business owner can be a relatively lonely feeling endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. And we're both working towards solving for that in some some way. mine feels a lot smaller in footprint at the very least, uh, than, than your effort, but it's really exciting to be here.
1: Yeah. Thank you for featuring it and giving us this opportunity. I also want to say right fast that like, I haven't said this up till now either, but we call it a ready-made warehouse. Like that's a part of our spiel here is it's a ready-made warehouse. Cause like the thought is because everything is all in, it's like one monthly rental fee. Like that includes everything, coffee, parking, co-working, photo studio, you name it. Mm -hmm. So that is also like an element where it's not nickel and diming you. It's like, this is what it costs. That's your monthly, like you can also plan, you can budget, you know, exactly what your costs are going to be. And there's like no overhead. So it's like a subscription to a warehouse.
0: And and I think that's great language for it. And I think that's a great call out because um, there's a tendency to go, you know, Apple attempt to, you're thinking that you're going apples to apples. You say my rent is $1,400. My rent there is 15. I'm paying less now. I have better value, but you're parking at the municipal parking for $85 a month and you pay for your own Wi-Fi at 125 and you do, and all of these things end up adding up. And, um, I think it's a ready-made warehouse is, is great language for it. And I think it's a great call out. Anything else that you, um, you're you feeling in your heart or your mind that you want to uh, add before we give people links?
1: Oh, I hate when people ask me questions like that because I never have a good answer. So the answer <laughs> is
0: no, I feel really I, I
1: feel fully with nothing in my head or heart. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say, though, uh, we're happy to tour anybody that wants to come down here and... You know, once they'll see it for themselves, yeah. they don't have to be stuck with the video.
0: I, I, And I will champion that as a next step for interested parties. Um, I mentioned at the very top of this episode that you are one of the businesses that I flagged the second I saw it. And I kind of tracked what was going on. And at some point I sent it to Sarah. And I don't know if I necessarily gave much context for what I thought I had seen, but I was like, ooh, maybe this is interesting for QB. Um, and it took months or so, and then Sarah sent you back to me. And it wasn't until we actually showed up and came and saw the space that it really clicked. So um, we'll work on something. So if you haven't uh, been to the Making in Nashville website in a while, you might want to. Uh, we'll have a making it in slash earnest page where um, on it, we're going to talk about the season. We're going to talk about this episode. We're going to talk about all the things that we're working on um, together and we'll see, we'll talk offline, but we'll see if there's some cool special bonus thing we can afford to listeners who come check out the space and think that it's a good fit for them and their business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. I also feel compelled to say like one more also mm-hmm. is that the photo studio and these meeting rooms and the co-working space are available to rent just in and of themselves. Like if someone just needed the photo studio for a day or half day or like if someone's like I really just want more traditional co-working, we do offer it. So there's really no co-working on this end of town and that is an option. So I feel compelled to say, to insert that and say, like, you could still come down here and rent these spaces.
0: Well, I'm so glad I asked what was on your heart or your mind, because we might not have got that. (laughs) Otherwise, um, the last, I guess, you know, closing things are, it is, um, uh, how would people find Ernest on the internet, or if they were looking for you?
1: On the internet, we are at ErnestReady.com. And it is Ernest, like the name, E-R-N-E-S-T. It, it's cute because it's a double entendre, sometimes less cute because people are dying to put an A in it, but it's E-R-N-E-S-T ready.com.
0: Awesome. Thank and you. And our
1: virtual receptionist is brightbellco.com.
0: Brightbellco.com. Uh, yeah. We will have links to everything and anything that was discussed in the show notes page for this podcast. They, they will be linked on every podcast player and in the you know description of this youtube video uh thank you so much for your time and for hosting us in this beautiful space jamie thank you for coming it was a pleasure